The theme for the evening talk is From Neediness to Desirelessness. Um, uh, firstly, uh, b- before I begin, um, just um, one, couple, one or two small announcements uh, to make. And um, one maybe might be the main one of the uh, retreat. And that is, um, there will be some cake served uh, la- later on this evening. <laughs> and uh, apparently it um, coincides with uh, Dan's birthday. Dan's one of the, the managers uh, uh, here. And uh, the other is that uh, I understand about uh, three people will uh, be needing to leave the retreat um, tomorrow evening or before the closing talk on Saturday, which is when we give the uh, talk about the daily life situation. So if those people who are leaving before the Saturday closing talk um, could meet with myself tomorrow morning uh, after the sitting when Yvonne gives the instructions. And I'll meet with you in the living room and for about uh, 15 minutes at that uh, time. So the theme uh, of the talk. Uh, Dan has already set up the mu- music for, as you see, for later this evening. It's, it's not being included in the talk. And someone had suggested uh, rock music. So tonight it's Jimi Hendrix. No, no, it's not. It's not. <laughs> it's <laughs> honestly. So um, from neediness to desirelessness. It's not at all unusual, not at all unusual, that in the uh, uh, inner life, in the feeling life uh, uh, especially, where we have our strengths and our vulnerabilities, that the feeling life is imbued, sometimes embedded, with other factors as well. And these other factors are various formations, various shapes of mind, various attitudes, various intentions. And so it's not as though the feeling life is separate from uh, all of that, but gives shape and formation to it. So in our inner experience, we feel the movement of uh, feelings, and in the movement which uh, takes place, sometimes it it shows itself as need, and sometimes it gains something extra to it. And that extra factor uh, to it, memory, past, patterns, etc., which put it into the field, the area we might call neediness. And in the identification with that, in the movement of it showing itself, it carries with it, of course, expectation, obviously. It carries uh, with it some looking for something from another or uh, others with the expectation of that need or neediness being reciprocated, being fulfilled. Something uh, uh, coming back which fits in with what I want. And Sometimes we're not aware 
uh, not really conscious of the uh, potency and in fact the influence in life, in human life, in social relationship life, of neediness and its influence on others. And one of the factors that goes with it, and we perhaps have observed this at various times, that it's a rather never-ending, if somewhat vicious circle to be caught up in. And it's a loop which can be extraordinarily difficult to cut, to break out of. And so then we have the experience in this neediness to reach out and perhaps we are listened to, we are heard, we are responded. And what comes back is nourishing, fulfilling and satisfying. And so, having succeeded, because perhaps in the past, when we were children or whatever, we didn't, who knows. Well, this earth definitely has a real need for lessons those cowboys flying around up in the air, but anyway. So, when then it is reciprocated, we receive, we get nourished, we get the attention, or whatever it might be. But, unfortunately, its inner self-life is extremely short. And soon as the feeling of being satisfied, nourished, or whatever that we experience fades away the little sense of lack, missing feeling of something, of lack of self uh, worth or whatever it might be that's going on within we'll have to generate through the feeling life the same movement again sometimes in almost the same tone same attitude, same language and sometimes exactly the same need and so the person, person, reciprocates again. Once, twice, three times, one year, two years, three years, we call these bodhisattvas, and... <laughs> but eventually, the person can't see the neediness that's going on from other, others or whatever. And it becomes a pressure. I'm sure we've heard all of this, we've known all of this in our lives, inwardly or outwardly. And the pressure comes, and therefore there's the inability to respond. And can't give the love, or the attention, or the service, or the kindness, or whatever it is that's needed. And so one begins to take a step back. And it becomes a painful waltz because he or she is therefore taking an even bigger step forward. And so one ends up taking a bigger step back. This is a painful waltz. And with it, it usually, or easily, not usually, but easily can end up that the person on the receiving end of the neediness begins to make more and more distance. And therefore the gap begins to set in, a difficult gap, a painful gap, begins to set in. 
the end result or effect of this that the one with the neediness feels unloved, uncared for, unsupported, unheard, unlistened to, unmissed, unmet. And, of course, the mind then goes into almost creating fresh strategies for all of this. And it's a very hard loop to step out of, to break out of. Sometimes it's going on narrowly and particularly, specifically, with one single person in one's life and not manifesting with others. No, and some it's manifesting wherever anybody happens to get within our eyes and our ears. So the knowing of ourself and the looking at ourself is looking at this problem, human problem, of neediness and its consequences from within and from, from without. Because it is usually the short or long route to more disappointment, more feeling unloved. It manifests, we, we, obviously, it manifests anywhere and places like Gaia House, it's just a melting pot for it. And the poor old managers. So sometimes people have been here for a few days, or a few weeks, or even dreadfully a few months, doing long-term retreat, work retreat, group retreat, whatever. And one is dealing with deep things of life obviously. So it's not surprising that in dealing with the uh, issues of life, sometimes the issues that start to do, arise, and uh, we hear it regularly, the teachers and managers hear it more regularly because they hear it morning, noon and night, is the neediness begins to come out. But where can it go? Other than the poor devils <laughs> called the managers. There's no one else for it to go to. Nobody else, no other retreatant is interested to uh, listen. Teachers have packed their bags and gone home. So sometimes in the inner, it, it comes out. And the popular manifestation, of course, is through request, through notes. You know, I think Guy House should keep a... a a total catalogue <laughs> of all the notes that it receives. And everybody who writes the note has an agreement when they arrive here that it will be pinned up and blown up <laughs> and put in the Bible. And so sometimes there's the, the, uh, neediness comes or about any, 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 anything you can think of to do with existence that comes out here. And, and that's why sometimes the notes become frequent. Every 24 hours, 48 hours, there's something else which needs to be done here. And why haven't they done it? And it's endless. So there's no one else around uh, except this poor, trapped group of people. <laughs> this is why they do so much loving-kindness uh, practice. 
So we're looking within and its manifestations in life, how that manifests without, the impact uh, of that, the consequences of that, and part of the acknowledgement for us, of course, in life, is that what we put out, what we generate in life, may or may not be heard. Period. Fact. Actuality. And sometimes we are asking of others, in all sorts of ways, of course, in life, what we couldn't provide ourselves. We are asking of others, and we are not even aware of how much others are also asking of others. And sometimes, one forgets, we talked earlier in the retreat, that teachers are not, uh, in this case, teachers are not, uh, and many other circumstances of any field of service in life, don't have infinite capacity. I rather smiled when I, I got home, I was only away, I was away two weeks. 52 letters, 22 emails, a few faxes, and 30-something telephone calls on the answering machine. I've been away two weeks. So sometimes, and the answering machine couldn't take any more, it was that, <laughs> and each person gets a limit of one minute on my answering machine ring, you'll see. <laughs> so sometimes we think, ah, oh, person, not person, whatever. So it's not only looking inwardly to what uh, expresses and manifests out of ourselves, but also, of course, looking in the scope of things uh, around us. All of this, as I say, is inner coming to, to outer. And therefore, we do our practices to be aware of that. We do our practices to be aware of the impact of others. We do our practices to be aware of the importance of seeing impermanence, for the importance of letting go, for the importance of being able to stay with what is, for the value of learning just to give attention to, for the practice of renunciation and doing without, to learn to see what resources are available in such a way we don't put pressure uh, on, on others. And all of that here is part of our practice. It's a part of a life, of a way of life, of being uh, in this world, which of course beautifully acknowledges the presence of others and the love and the support and the connection, appreciates the needs of others, uh, etc. But extraordinarily vigilant that the, the practice and the, that spirit of renunciation is meaning the same language for you and I here of letting go, of learning to do without, of learning to be uh, with, uh, with what is, to watch, n- watch what goes into the field of neediness and the c- capacity to develop loving-kindness meditations, to feel warmth inside of oneself and that one is okay inside of oneself. All of these kind of practices not only provide in a very direct and immediate way, a service for ourselves. But one would have to say, we would have to say equally for others. We're less needy and less demanding and less wanting and, and less clinging and less possessive, or all of that. Others feel much more relaxed around us, feel more at ease uh, around us, feel more connected, because we're not demanding and, and uh, needy for 
attention or approval or uh, uh, getting what we want, or, or etc. And therefore, when sometimes when people say, "Oh, this retreat, these meditations, it's such a just a navel gazing club," or it's just a selfish thing to do, and one could be in Spain on the Costa Rota and uh, uh, burning one's skin through the hole in the ozone layer, or whatever. And, but it isn't, it's a service for others as well. And sometimes that does give extra inspiration and little extra determination to us. So I say, watching the inner to the outer. But, having said that, and I'll go with the inner to desirelessness in a moment. Having said that, when we are changing, it will have, and probably that is, will have some impact on others who are close to us, who we, with whom we have a contact. So there are some people who, in their, I always find it rather odd, but anyway, in their uh, personality, let us say, have the need to be needed. I don't think that's not too complicated. They have, they, they, they have the need to be needed. And it affirms them in some way or or other. Others would think of it as one's worst nightmare. But uh, so some have this need to be needed. So if one looks at oneself, let us say, and there is less neediness, one feels more at home, deeper inner peace, uh, greater clarity with life, a sense of connection rather than neediness. It could could affect the other person or persons. And then they may begin to feel in that period of time or time in certain transitions feeling that they're not needed. They were, but now they're not. Or they're less needed. And sometimes that can get interpreted as being less loved. Not easy when those transitions are taking place between people who like each other, or appreciate each other, or love each other, who are close to each other, or live with each other. So as I say, sometimes coming out of neediness and feeling more content with one's being may impact on the other person who has got used to the form of relationship of the other being dependent. And therefore there can be a confusion in life, not unusual, between love and connection, and neediness and dependency. And clearly the teachings are about love and connection, and not about neediness and dependency. And there's a world of difference. One doesn't generate suffering and disappointment, and the other does, and that's the difference. And it's a, oh, it couldn't get a bigger one. So then one steps back a little further into ourselves and a little more deeply into our into our, uh, ourselves. And this is quite often where a question does arise, especially in the, in the, in the Dharma and the misunderstanding, if I may try to explain that a little bit. We hear, we were touching on this this afternoon with the inquiry in other ways, if I look at myself and I look at my life, 
and they see, all right, I'm vigilant, I'm trying to be careful about this, this neediness and all that can go on with it. But nevertheless, I have needs. And I have basic human needs. I have needs for uh, clothing because of the climate. I have need for uh, a roof over my head for, because of the, uh, of the weather. I have uh, need for need for food. I have need for uh, medication uh, when I'm sick, etc. And as the Buddha pointed out, unless these basic needs are being met, what chance has a person ever been able to explore what you and I are exploring? So the, the aspect of needs in the fundamental primary areas of life are important, and it's well, it's criminal on this earth with all the wastage and the superfluousness and the superficiality and the triviality of things the number of people who don't get those basic needs met and it's even getting worse in sub-Saharan Africa etc. So there's the needs which we say we have and also there is needs which are of the heart as well there is need for contact there are needs for connection, there are needs for support, there are needs for people to be there together, there are needs to spend time alone, etc. All of that's familiar to us, but it doesn't have to have the extra, I was referring to, the neediness. But then we hear, and this is important, here we look into ourselves, say, well, what, what, since there are basic needs, is it's a little bit language here. Is need just another desire? And what are these odd Buddhists talking about when they're talking about desirelessness? Desirelessness. So as we turn our attention to our being, it's a relative awareness of ourselves. Yes, we experience some desires coming out of ourselves. There's the movement, there's a formation of mind, and sometimes, as you know well, during the course of the day or the days, we have fixed upon something. And it's got the I want. I must have. It may be just a formation with some pressure, some wanting, and it arises and it, and it, and it fades away. And the difficulty of dealing with the force of wanting. It isn't always easy to let go. It isn't always easy if it's got a habit and an addiction uh, to it. But it's a form of wanting, it's a form of desire, and there is a knowing in the formation of it that it is unsatisfactory. That the thought that goes with it, this is important here, which goes with it knows it's unsatisfactory. And if one put one's hand on one's heart, one would say, I wish that I was free from this desire. I wish I didn't have to deal with this wanting. I wish I wasn't caught up in this craving, in this feeling I must have and I am missing something. So there is a number of forms of the desire which manifest which we recognize in ourselves that we would rather be without. Not very 
nice for oneself, not very nice for for uh, uh, others, and we feel, as I said, there's something quite unsatisfactory about it. Therefore, a feature of knowing ourselves is knowing what these desires are, and sometimes we have to name them. It's no use you and I saying, oh God, every time I look at my mind it's full of desires. It's like I'm living with a bunch of steaks and, 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 and oh, what can I do? But anyway, so just, I'm, I'm just going to go on a diversion for ten seconds. Talk about um, these things. I was, that, the Venerable Sudinand, whose uh, invisible presence is reminding me, is, 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 uh, is staying at, at my home at the moment. I've, I've, I've given him the, the key to Nirvana called the, the TV remote. Uh, <laughs> and so we were travelling, taking him home in the car uh, last night. My, in fact, my daughter last week had, had, had lost the remote. It was, it was crisis. Anyway, and we were travelling home and Monks, and, and ex-monks for that matter, love talking about snakes. You know. <laughs> and so we got into <laughs> reminiscing about our deep relationship with snakes <laughs> and talking about snakes. And he and I both share something in common that was uh, rather severely bitten by, by a snake and uh, a different one, I would add. And, <laughs> and I said, where, where, where did you get bitten? In, in your, it was, it was, you got bitten by a cobra. And I said, in, 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 your, in your foot or in your hand? He said, no, in my ear. Oh, oh. I just drive, I winced as I was driving along. And I said, in the ear? He said, it's only a small cobra. And he said it was the second bite he'd, he'd had when he was a teenager he'd been bitten by a green snake which, the green snakes in Thailand which have a red end to them they're not very pleasant uh, creatures I had a few meetings with them too and, uh, and anyway and, and, and various other snake stories and one night in the grounds of the monastery it, um, he, he was telling me that he was lying, lying down and uh, uh, slept. Monks like to do a lot of sleeping out in the nature, obviously, and slept. And he woke up the following morning, and the king cobra has shed its snake skin while he slept, and the and the snake had gone, and he woke up, and there was a cob- <laughs> king skin of a cobra, king cobra. Oh, anyway. So anyway, I, guess, I just thought I'd tell you that it's an advertisement for snakes. Uh, there we had one, I'm going to go, a quick distraction in the, in the forest in Australia three or four years ago, I've told you several times. And in the middle of the afternoon, three or four in the afternoon, uh, right in the forest, a voice came out of the 3.30 sitting and said, I'm scared. And the hall had about 70 uh, of us in it. And I looked down the hall and there on this guy's lap was a snake it's straight up right in his face right in its face I went whoa 
and he had to show around him in the street just swinging in front of his eyeballs. So I turned to a friend, Mac, who lives at Bodie Farm, two miles away. I said, Mac, is it poisonous? He said, no. Then he went, a little, a little bit, <laughs> out of the corner of his mouth so that guy wouldn't panic. And I'm not sure what this has got to do with desire and neediness, but I'll try and fit it in before the week's over. And so it's just there. And, and then it lowered its body, the room was, I tell you, there's a quality of stillness which snakes bring, which is quite remarkable. And it just made its way over the laps of people, and about a metre long, through the hall there. And I thought, how on earth did it ever get to that spot? And nobody, you know, they can't be in that deep samadhi, somebody didn't open their eyes. And it was called a night tiger. Tigers are, poor, they're terrors. Night tigers are much less poisonous. And they sleep on the roof. Ah, in this case, sleeping on the roof, on the rafter. And it's a very simple meditation hall out of trees falling out of the forest, you know. And it, it was a hot day. It got too hot. The snake fell off in the middle of its sleep. It only comes out at night. It fell off. And where did it land? Right in this guy's lap. <laughs> there we are. So I, the only the previous day had had an inquiry with him. Honestly, is it true? And it, it was on his control issues. <laughs> <laughs> this was definitely out of his control. <laughs> anyway. So sometimes in the inner life, in the movement of the inner life, yeah. There's uh, neediness. We look into that. Then we see there are basic needs and we are respectful to them, both of ourselves and of others. And it's uh, that's quite appropriate in, within human life, human experience and human endeavour. Hopefully with compassion oneself and others. Also, when we look inwardly, still looking at movement of mind here. It's all about movement of mind. And the movement of mind which can manifest easily in the form of desire in the Buddhist sense, in the Dharma sense, desire is associated with unsatisfactory movement of mind. Unsatisfactory movement of mind. And this unsatisfactory movement of mind, wanting, wanting, craving, longing, pursuing, must-having, that kind of thing, puts the pressure on life, on the organism, on existence, on ourselves, on, our, on others, and of course, often within it, it's very unsatisfactory, but, and also the consequences, sooner or later, end up as unsatisfactory. And so we take awareness, we take responsibility, and we explore teachings and practices which genuinely help us to look at the force of desire, what it's doing, and where it's going, what it leads to. Hopefully, taking the potency out of those forms of desire, and in that, um, leading a more conscious and wise way of living. So the three forms of uh, uh, desire which are unsatisfactory is the forms of greed, selfishness, one. The form of desire which is against, such as anger, um, uh, rage, uh, revenge, 
the desire to hurt, to intimidate, to put down, to belittle, etc. And the desires uh, which contribute to uh, confusion and um, uh, difficulty, whether they may be in the forms of uh, fantasizing, uh, of fears, another form of desire, or whatever. And therefore our practice, exploration together, is looking at all those unsatisfactory forms of desire and therefore pointing to a way to take the power out of them, take the potency out of them. And therefore the sense of being begins to matter and then we act out of our being rather than that out of the unsatisfactory potency of those desires. And some of the expressions which I've been calling neediness. But then we say, this is where some of the difficulty arises, and it needs a change of language here. You see, but isn't the desire for liberation the desire? Isn't the desire to know God? If we're comfortable with uh, that word, a desire. Isn't the desire to get to the real truth of things? Same thing again, a desire. Isn't, isn't the desire to dissolve the ego? Isn't the desire to get rid of the desire? Etc. And this is where the difficulty frequently does arise. And it arises a little bit in the English language here because in the Pali language completely different words are used so one couldn't get confused. So, in the language, I'm talking language here to help make it a little clear and distinct, and then I'll take it a little deeper with you in a moment. In the, lang- in the language, the language with regard to, say, what we are engaged in here, is the language not of desire, but in the la- language of aspiration. I aspire to be with God. I, as- I aspire to know the immeasurable. I aspire to be touched by, the, by that which is liberating. I, dis, dis, I aspire to, to uh, be receptive to the deathless. Or uh, intention, or interest, or enthusiasm for, or working towards. It, it's not easy, but it has, it, it, it has that. And so that aspiration there, that intention uh, for that, there's something noble about it, something beautiful, to really know what the true nature of things is while I live. Sometimes the desire, means the ego factor, of course easily can get in. You can start off with genuine, at any period being a, a real interest in, a aspiration towards finding. When the desire begins to enter into that movement, when there's some corruption of it begins to take place, which easily does in the movement to know the true nature of, of things, the investment starts with it. There's more and more of I, I tending to go along with it. When people begin to identify with that, it tends to start to set up a kind of us and them. Oh, I am a really 
I am committed to exploring, I am committed to meditation, I am committed to going deep into myself and they aren't. The aspiration is there, but the judgment is coming in, the identification is coming in, the comparing is coming in, the putting down of others. Even others who are engaged rather similarly start getting to put, put down. And then you've got the division coming in, therefore the desire is coming in, and of course the sectarianism starts to come in, and then the cult starts to come in, etc. etc. It's all got desire in it. When they say I've been uh, interviewed by organisations, by governments, and uh, and by groups, and have asked to speak a number of times over these years about the danger of cults and sectarianism and the divisiveness of of it all, as somebody who has listened over many years to many painful accounts of these experiences, and one thing is for sure: in the narrow-mindedness, in the dogmatism, in in the self-righteousness there is desire. Clinging, holding, grabbing, grasping, there is desire there. So we look at that movement which is unsatisfactory, which we call desire, and we look at and take an interest in that movement which is satisfactory, which I'm calling here aspiration, which the Buddha called, also called, and also called right intention. And just to be aware whether at times one could overlap that the desire begins to affect, maybe corrupt, through clinging that right intention, that aspiration. Part of that right intention and aspiration in going deeper is that it brings effort. And you will be aware during your time and your hours and here of the place and the importance of effort. And sometimes we, we say to ourselves, and we say in the small group, because it does seem to take an awful lot of effort, you know, getting out of bed at 5.30 in the, in the morning, and sometimes the only exercise I want to do at 5.30, between 5.30 and 6.15, is just to turn over in the bed, and that's enough yoga for the day. And uh, and then there's the effort, of course, of the sittings and the walkings and uh, and all of that. No question that, that there is the application of a great deal of effort, and it is uh, challenging and it can be uh, uh, demanding. And sometimes we can be moving along beautifully, and we come into the meditation hall and and we have a sitting which has a, a sweetness to it, which we love and appreciate and we can feel the benefit of. And we walk out of the hall, we do our walking meditation diligently, we, uh, we're even um, mindful when we're squatting on the toilet for the first time in our life. And, and then we come back into the meditation hall and we think we're going to continue where we left off. <laughs> and one finds that the conditions of life inwardly have changed, even though outwardly it appears much the same, same old people sitting around one. And next sitting it seems all effort, all struggle, very hard, very uh, difficult, and one wonders what on earth happened. In the experience of 45 minutes ago, I was close to Nirvana, <laughs> and now I've got two feet in hell. 
and like nothing happened in between. <laughs> so, again, in the meeting of one's existence, then we, we can't control. We don't know when the snake is going to land in our lap. I finally got it in somewhere. <laughs> oh, that was close. I was nearly running out of time. So, sometimes <laughs> the effort that takes uh, place is appropriate to overcome tiredness, to overcome uh, uh, resistance, to overcome boredom, um, to keep the aspiration and the intention alive, and therefore right effort to develop and maintain and overcome and avoid what's unnecessary, etc. It's all part of our practice. Significant feature of it. But when we come to greater depth, then, even in that subtlety and in the appreciation of it, it seems, and this is important, it seems that any movement of the mind is a kind of disturbance. It's a kind of extra. And so in that silence, that unending silence, in that stillness of being, to generate within us right intention to go towards seems rather gross. Seems rather offensive. It seems rather to introduce something which we is pointless because we can't go any further. And so some and a number of you have been reporting this do notice that there are times, are moments in which there is a shift which is taking place and that shift is rather going from doing, noble doing, aspiration, noble intention in our meditations, in our practices here from doing to being and from being in the sense of receptivity and therefore to aspire to something to move the mind towards seems rather pointless and irrelevant. And we don't want to move the mind anywhere. We don't want to move ourselves, our inner life, even our feeling life, anywhere. And therefore there is a sense of human being, genuine sense of homo sapiens on this earth. And there there is a receptivity, and in that receptivity there is the absence of neediness the absence of desire and, more subtly, the absence of intentions and aspirations and the, and the absence of movement toward. And therefore there is a silence in which there is the absence of those formations. Some of which, as we pointed out, can be very unsatisfactory and some of them which are really noble statements of what matters for us in life to know this life, to know it well, to know it clearly, to know it fearlessly, to know it lovingly. And therefore, there is that receptivity and uh, sense of being which any kind of movement seems rather extra. And we say, I can't go anywhere from here. Where can I go? Somebody quoted from uh, the Bible this morning in the small group, Be still and know that I am God. 
truth of things is closer to us than the thought in our own mind. We're never a single moment away from liberation. There is nowhere to go, there's nothing to do. All of these statements, beautiful statements, one of the most challenging ones out of, out of, from the Buddha, I achieved nothing from complete unexcelled enlightenment. Ordinary mind just can't make sense of those statements at all. But in receptivity, in the state of being, in that sweetness of an unending silence, things can be clear. And then we might say, and we might wonder, does that mean? Oh, therefore, my practice, my love and aspiration of looking into things has to keep going deeper and deeper and deeper to a taste of an unending silence. And in that unending silence, something can come through which is genuinely liberating and there is a knowing and it's unshakable. Wonderful thing is, the answer is no. No, one doesn't have to go progressively and gradually. If one does one's practice, one will go that way, whether you like it or not, you haven't got any control over it. If you just do your practice, you're just going to end up going towards greater depth, because that's the only way you can go. With a few hiccups, as we heard today, but that's the way it goes. But the wonderful thing is, that the manifestations of things which are unsatisfactory, which we're calling neediness, which we're calling desire, and, and movements of mind, or whatever, as the, as the teaching said, as the Buddha said, actually don't have that much power to them anyway, don't have that much authority to them anyway. So, one can listen to the Dharma in the evening, listen to an inquiry, or whatever, those things that we've been exploring together, but not to make it an absolute necessity. Sometimes things can come clear and the mind is just chattering away. As one person said, it seems like one part of the mind, one bit of the self is talking to another bit of oneself, backwards and forwards, can be chattering away, and even in the midst of the chattering uh, uh, away, realization, discovery, insight, and understanding the wisdom of being can shine through it all. So we say, let's explore both ways. And in that, as I say, we and have said previously in the days with you, it's. Uh, wonderful way of contributing to really knowing, and the knowing is key here, what a, a free and joyful life is. May all beings live with wisdom. May all beings see into the inner life. May all beings live with a liberated kindness.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.